You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Brian Sherman, welcome back to Real Faith Stories, man. It's so good to have you on the program. I am looking forward to talking about your incredible book, The Gravity of Heaven. Brian, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Well, for those that don't know anything about Brian Sherman, please share a bit about yourself. Sure. As far as titles go, I'm a writer. I write for a living. I mostly help businesses clarify their brand message and kind of get all their words right and how they talk about themselves. That's what I do for a living. But I'm also a children's pastor at my church. My wife and I direct a summer youth camp every year that mobilizes 15 to 20 churches every year that come together. That's a pretty awesome part of our lives. And we're involved a lot with our church. We go to Grace Church, Willis in Willis, Texas. I've been writing professionally and personally for quite a long time and written a couple of books before this one. I feel like at the time was right to write The Gravity of Heaven. And that's what I've done. The focus of the book is on identity, correct? Our true identity. Yes, for sure. If you could put it into one word, that would be it. Yep. Okay. Well, please share what prompted you to write this book, because this was no small endeavor. After reading it, I felt like, wow, that was deep, man but it was so powerful. What prompted you? Well, my own story, my own journey. Everybody listening to this has been on this journey of identity. We're born into this world. We grow up in a family. We grow up in a community, in an environment. We're influenced by teachers, preachers, books, families, parents, whether they were present or not. That all influences our lives. And it kind of shapes this person we think we are. And I think as we get older, we want to have some clarity about what that is. There's this temptation to go on this journey and try to put words to our identity. Who am I? As if we could describe it like in a sentence. And people try, and there are some decent ways to do that and come up with some sense of security around how you feel about yourself. But a lot of the journey is really, it's really this myth that you can actually, on your own, discover who you are. Especially in America, America is a very self-driven culture, self-reliant. We think identity is like a puzzle to be solved or something you could figure out or something that can just be kind of handed to you. And you're like, here it is. Here's my identity. Here's who I am. And if, if that never happens, we just kind of make one up for ourselves. And we're seeing a lot of that in our culture nowadays where people are just deciding, you know, this is just who I am. I'm going to be this way. And it filters into all sorts of different avenues, even to the point of people deciding genders and all the sort of things where you just see this confusion where there's this deep longing to understand who we are. Mm. And in my own life, I my journey, because I've been on the same journey, asking that question for a long time, I began to realize looking back that I've been in this process of discovering my identity. But on my own, I never get very far. And it's when I kind of gave up trying to take control of that process and just surrendered to the call of God on my life and just followed him. And as I followed God as father, and that's a really important part of this, is that your identity, you can never discover this on your own. It's only something a father can give you. And God, our father, knows exactly who we are. 
And part of, as we come to know Jesus and begin to ask God that same question, who am I? God revealed to me who I am. I think there's a couple things we have to know about that. Number one, if God were to reveal to you the fullness of your identity all at once, you wouldn't be able to handle it. You probably wouldn't believe it. Or the American option is you'd probably go and try to become it on your own. And I think that could be the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody. And the whole point is that who you are is inseparable from who God is as father. And your identity is found in him, but it's not something that can just be handed to you. It is something that it has to be bestowed. What I mean is you were born into a family and in Jesus's culture, you grew up in that family. You were told who you were, quote unquote, over the course of about 30 years. And when you were 30, the father would walk the son through town and basically say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, that sounds probably familiar to some of you. And basically his way of telling everybody, look, if you do business with the son, it's the same as doing business with me now. And the son has this affirmation of who he is because of the past 30 years of this journey of walking alongside the father. And again, that's not something that can you can write down on a piece of paper, so to speak, but it's something that is a deep knowing that I don't know that words could be put into it. So for me, in my own journey, I was trying to figure out who I was on my own, began to discover that I could never find out who I am apart from God as father. And a lot of the limitations I had with seeing God as father came from how I learned to see my own father and how father, quote unquote, is portrayed in our culture. And I have a great dad, but all of us kind of have these generational deficiencies that we don't know are there because we just grow up in, in our world that we think is normal. And so long story short, sur- begin to surrender to this journey of walking with And what he revealed to me is that who I am is found in this word called sonship. And as I began to look through the Bible, following obviously Jesus, the son, his whole life was this expression of sonship. And he was trying to get us to realize that the same thing was available for all of us. As you're sharing this, I'm thinking about this sense. Personally, Brian, I've had my whole life this picture of wanting to soar like an eagle. Inside me is this sense of destiny that I was created for so much more, right? And that sense of destiny, I believe you're touching on as you speak about our understanding who the Father tells us that we are. Is that fair? Yes. So let me read this quote from your book, and I'd love for you to dig into that. To be a son is to be completely surrendered to the will of the Father. That means everything, and that's a very hard thing for the self to do. It's impossible, actually, because the self needs reassurance, a guarantee in a controllable outcome. The son needs faith in the father to take care of the outcome. Because of this, sons can live in the now. They can be fully present, something the self is unable to do because it tends to focus on any time except right now. That's really what fear does. It takes the worst of the past, whether experienced or learned, and uses it as the main ingredient to create a fictional worst-case future that we can somehow prepare for and avoid the suffering of. And that is packed with truth, Brian. So please talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot in there. First of all, there's this contrast between a son and a self. The temptation is to be very secure in the self. But if you look at Jesus' life as the perfect expression of a son, he never actually thought about himself. He was never focused on himself. He even said, I only do what I see the father doing. And 
his whole expression of identity was simply watching the father and then mirroring that in his world around him. And because of that, he's not thinking about the future, although he knows his destiny. He's not thinking about the past, although he knows what he's there to restore and fix from way back in the past. But he's simply focused on the Father. The Father knows exactly where Jesus needs to be, when he needs to be there, where he needs to go. And as long as Jesus is following him, he's never going to miss out on life, on who he is, on his destiny. And the self, whenever you live as a self, you are your own God. You want to be able to control everything around you. To be fair, this is a learned thing. Like We learn to cope with the world that we're in with this thing called self-reliance in the ways that we were not led by a father or by God, that we didn't know to do that. We developed this sense of self, well, I'll just do it on my own. And you talk about that quote, it mentions fear and what fear actually does. And it's true, fear creates this fake future. It's completely made up, but it basically, here's what happens. The past is fixed, right? You can't change it, it happened. The present is currently happening, right? The future is completely unknown. And based on what happened in your past, the self as a way of protection will project onto the future a fixed past, so to speak, and try to create a fixed future as a way of predicting what will happen so that it can protect itself. And so that produces fear. It creates a worst case fictional future and then pulls that into the present. And then we adjust our lives to prepare for that. And that's the danger of fear is that it's completely made up. And the more fear you have in your life, the smaller your world gets, the less you allow God to influence your future. One of the things I'm sure someone's listening to this may be thinking is, okay, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, and he only spoke what he heard the Father speaking. So that begs the question, how on earth can I see what the Father's doing and do it and hear what the Father's speaking and speak it? Because I want to do that, but how do I do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a process. We have to start with Jesus. I mean, he is the Son. He is the mirror of the Father. And when he said that phrase, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus is what is who we look at to know what God is like. And if you want to know what the Father's like, you look at Jesus. And so he lived his life with these continual daily practices where he is in constant union with the Father. Now, if that is a foreign concept, you got to start somewhere. And usually it's just a simple point of surrender of, Lord, speak to me. God, God, lead me, show me. What's the thing? What's the next thing I should do? What's the thing you want me to do with my life? And if you're starting from a place of having never heard God, there is so much of yourself that's in the way. You've got to be able to surrender. That's why it says at the beginning of that quote you just said that it's complete surrender. And we're okay surrendering a little bit of our lives, but we have to surrender everything. And I talk about later on in the book, there's this process of dying to the self. And death is a complete surrender. If you think about what actual death is, physical death, you are forced to surrender anyway. You're forced to surrender everything, everything you've ever accumulated in your life, every relationship you've ever had, all of it has to be surrendered. You have no choice in the matter. But the beauty is that you can choose, you can apply your free will to dying to yourself now and surrendering everything anyway. 
and actually trusting that God is going to show up, that he's going to lead you. But like I said, we we have to start with Jesus. He is the expression of what God is like. And he also, by the way, is the expression of what God thinks you are like. And sometimes we miss that side of things. It's like, how does God see me? How does he value me? Does he even care or think about me? Does he want to speak to me? Jesus is God's idea of what you are like. The union he had with God is what he desires with you. Wow. And so Jesus, he's the mirror. You know, when Adam was created back in the beginning of the whole story, God said, let us make man in our image. And if you think of it as really like a mirror, this really helped clarify a lot for me. If you think of you, man, as a mirror, God wanted to reflect his glory into the earth. And the way he decided to do that was to create man. Man is the image And if you think about that in terms of mirror, man is the mirror that reflects the glory of God into the earth. It's kind of like an angled mirror. If you take a mirror and you angle it, you can reflect light from one place into another. It's like the light of God is being shown into man, and man is this angled mirror in which this light, the glory of God, is expressed into the earth. And what happened when man sinned, it was basically they man became self-aware. It's as though man took that mirror and turned it toward himself and began to, for the first time ever, to see himself. So instead of looking in this mirror, seeing the Father, reflecting the Father into the world, man is looking into this mirror and seeing himself, basically becoming his own God. And man reflecting himself into the world is only going to cause eventual chaos and destruction and death, which is kind of the fruit of what we're living in nowadays. Jesus comes. He is man reflecting the Father perfectly again. He has come and has angled the mirror of his life in a way that reflects God into the world around him. So much so that that literally God's space, heaven, is becoming the reality that Jesus is walking in literally. And in the book, I talk about Peter a lot and starting with the story of Peter and Jesus walking on water. But basically, Jesus is able to cause the reality of heaven to become the reality of earth with his life. He's just simply being what man was always meant to be. In the Lord's Prayer, what does he teach his disciples to say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's literal, isn't it? It is. I talk about this story of Jesus walking on water. I grew up in church, right? A lot of your audience, I'm sure they've heard this story before, obviously, that Jesus walked on water. And it's just a cool miracle we talk about. And it's exciting, especially when you're younger. And I began to dive into this a little bit more because as I've gotten older, my rational mind has grown, right? I'm like, well, wait a minute. I mean, Jesus, he's walking on water? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And part of us in the back of our mind, we're like, well, yeah, but Jesus is God and he can, he can do this if he wants or whatever. But Peter doesn't. And this is where I really started to dive into this, that Peter walks on water. There's a lot that happens around this story. Right before this, a feed of 5,000. And this incredible miracle of multiplying food where heaven invades earth in this way that doesn't make any logical sense. Even physical matter is transformed because of something Jesus is able to access and in partnership with the disciples. I mean, he tells them to feed everybody and then they're like, well, all we have is this. He basically gives them an instruction that's impossible. Then he enables them to do what he told them to do in the first place by accessing heaven. I love it. Yeah. So they they do this incredible miracle and he's like, okay, get in the boat, go to the other side. And they go, he goes off to the mountain to pray, which he had been trying to do anyway, because he had heard about John the Baptist dying and wanted to go and be alone with the Lord and pray. And 
So he sends them away. And, and about in the middle of the night, three or four in the morning, they're out there and they're having trouble on the water. You got to remember too, these are professional fishermen who understand when to go out onto a lake when the weather is bad. Like how, it, They're caught off guard by whatever's happening. The storm, the waves are boisterous. They're, the wind was contrary, it says. And they look out and they see this figure walking on the water and they cry out, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, fear not, don't be afraid, it's me. He literally says, don't be afraid, I am. And they see him and Peter's response baffles me. I mean, even now, after even writing all this kind of exposition on it, even now, his response just baffles me. He says, well, if it's you or since it's you, tell me to come out on the water too. I don't know why that would ever be the thing that would pop into his mind. (laughs) It would never pop into my mind. I'd be like, well, quick, come over here or prove that it's you. And so he's like, well, since it's you, tell me to come out there too. And he says, come. So there's this invitation that Peter steps out. You know the story. He walks out to Jesus. He suddenly looks around and realizes he's walking on water, right? It's like, wait a minute. What am I doing? He's walking on water and he starts to sink. Jesus pulls him up and he says, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. And Faith is the important word there. So Jesus is walking in some reality by faith. Now, faith is one of those terms, those words that we've kind of heard a whole bunch in our life. And we especially grew up in church and just means to believe in God and trust that he can do impossible things. But faith actually is like the door to heaven on earth. It gives you access to a real reality. And Jesus, by faith, is accessing heaven's reality. And heaven's reality is a superior reality to earth's reality. And so this dominant reality is superseding the reality around Jesus. And he is literally walking in the gravity of heaven, right? Gravity is this natural law on earth that even though we have free will, we don't have free will over that, right? There's some laws we simply don't have free will over. We can't decide whether we obey gravity or not. And so Jesus is not subject to the gravity of earth. However, Jesus is a human man, a hundred percent. He's not acting as God in this situation, meaning he is subject to gravity, just not the one that's around us all the time. He's subject to some other gravity, the gravity of heaven, where the title of the book comes from. And so he's walking in this reality of heaven and Peter's able to step out because he also has faith in what he sees Jesus doing. He steps out in the same reality he's able to access. Now what happens? He chooses fear instead of faith. He goes back to this small world where he's in control. And because of that, he steps out of faith into fear. Fear is just faith in the self, right? And the self is a very small reality. We just don't realize it. And he goes and starts to sink. And Jesus pulls him up and says, why did you doubt you a little faith? And so what's really interesting too, is when they get into the boat, all the disciples marvel. And it says, they all say this phrase, truly, this is the son of God. Now, the phrase son of God is not thrown around like it is nowadays, where we just heard it a million times and we know what it means. That phrase was, their revelation was something different. And there's something about this word son that they realize Jesus is doing what he's doing because he's a son. And Peter, I think, realizes, well, if I was able to do the same thing Jesus is doing, maybe this son thing has something to do with my life too. And Jesus reveals that to Peter later, you know, they're, they're sitting around. He says, who do men say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're a prophet, you know, and he says, who do you say that I am? Actually, his question the first time was, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And Peter's response is, you're the son of God. His question is about who people say I am as the son of man. He says, but who do you say I am? He says, 
Well, you're the son of God. And so he gets a revelation of sonship about Jesus. What does Jesus do? He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I say you're Peter. So there's two names he throws at those that are right there. Simon Barjona, how he's known as a son of man. Same question Jesus asked them. He says, and I say you're Peter. Now, what's the response Peter got is that Jesus is the son of God. So Jesus is essentially saying, hey, you're actually Peter, a son of God. And this is what Peter, as a son, does. He actually has the keys to heaven. And he even tells them that. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, a man, human man, other than Jesus himself, now is going to have keys to heaven's realm, not earth, heaven's realm. And it's Peter. And he's basically this Peter in the Bible story. If we can look at it metaphorically, Peter is every man. He is us. He always says the things that we wish we could say. He just speaks his mind without thinking. And so Jesus is trying to reveal to him, like, look, you are a human. And this is what God thinks of humanity, that if humanity, if mankind would live as sons, then they would actually be able to access heaven's reality. They would have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and actually have authority between heaven and earth. One of the things you said was self equals small reality. And this is something you mentioned in some notes you shared with me, which I think ties in well. God always calls me away from my self-built security into a life of trust. And that seems to me, Brian, the currency of moving into this non-self or son life is absolute utter trust, complete surrender. And that is a process. It's not a one-time gig. You don't say, I surrender, and that's over. What does that process look like of constant surrender? We have trained ourselves over the course of our lives to be in control of our lives, or at least feel like we are. And that's where all stress comes from, anxiety. It's where things feel like they're not in control. And those borders of our lives, of our identity, are self-created. We just don't realize it. We just live in a world where we try to protect ourselves all the time. You know, the story of Peter is this perfect example because the story is about walking on water. There's lots of other examples he could have used. There could have been told in that story about doing something impossible. But that's something that even logically doesn't fit into our brains. And I think that's the whole point is that you think of it, the self versus the son. All of us kind of live in this boat that we call the self. And Jesus will always call us out of the boat and into something that looks absolutely impossible because we just don't know how to see heaven because we haven't learned to. But he'll call us into it anyway. And as far as getting really practical, it starts, number one, with, I would say, just pray. There's a prayer in the very back of the book called The Prayer for Sons. That's a great way to start this journey. But pray and Just pray your heart. I mean, don't try to be theological, whatever. Just say, Jesus, I want to surrender to you. I don't know how to do that. I am in so much in control of my own life. I don't know how to do that. And some of the things he may ask you to do are not going to be fun or comfortable or even look possible. I know with my own personal life, I began to get this, just this conviction to separate myself. And what I mean is I deleted all the social media apps off of my phone because they were just stealing my time and attention. I was constantly going there for relief to get the sense that there was stuff happening out in the world. And just in my own life, I've kind of had to declutter and be in this process of unlearning and then listen for this the subtle nudging, the subtle speaking of God, of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And a lot of times, if we will just get rid of all the noise in our life, we'll be able to hear that still, small, quiet voice. We'll be able to actually hear Jesus saying, hey, it's me. Come out here. Like, Come here where I'm at. And that is where we start. And I would say, don't do this alone. What I recommend in the book is you need a spiritual father. Like that's the best possible person you could talk to is a spiritual father, somebody who can model what God the Father is like and kind of help you interpret your life for you instead of trying to do it on your own. And that's going to require, might require a season of apprenticeship, so to speak, where you just come to a spiritual father and say, hey, can I hang out with you? Can I just be around? Can I just sit with you and talk to you and serve you and help you? And that may mean you have to sacrifice time from other areas of your life. And you'd be surprised how much time you actually have available when you cut out things like social media. Uh, So that's where I would start. And it's going to require maybe some drastic changes to your life, uh, putting yourself in this position of serving. In my own story, I kind of went through this journey of just serving a spiritual father for a long time. And my friends were going off and being successful. And my plan was to leave home and go be the super huge success. And I never could. I could never leave because God wanted to be in this place of serving a spiritual father. And that led me to where I am today and to even to writing this book. None of it would have been possible without that season. I'd like to pivot, Brian, to this incredible story you share in the book about the experience you had with several other people where you had two hours to just obey God. You sat and you prayed and asked the Lord, where do you want to lead us to? Could you share that, please, and how it ended? It was mind-blowing how God cares about the absolute details of our life and those of others. Sure. Yeah, when we think about God intervening in our world, often we think about miracles and healings and signs and wonders, and all those things are incredible and amazing. But all those things ultimately are an expression of the love of God. So I had this story that happened years and years ago. We used to do these things, and we still do from time to time, but we called them acts of obedience. And they have different terms in different circles, like treasure hunting and those sort of things. But basically, we would all get together, uh, and there was probably about 15 or 20 of us that day. And we would just pray. And the whole point was, God, where do you want us to go? And who do you want us to bless? We set aside two hours, and we said, we're just going to go wherever the Holy Spirit leads us. And if he wants us to pray for somebody or whatever he wants to do, we're just going to listen, shut out everything else in our life, just listen and actually just do it, whatever we feel being led to do. So uh, the first thing we did is pray and, and see who God wants you to partner up with. And me and two other people got together in this group and uh, we, okay, let's pray. Let's see where God wants us to go. So we got together, we started praying and now we're just kind of listening. And there's an outlet mall, probably about 15 minutes from our church. And one of the people in our group, he said, hey, I think we're supposed to go to this outlet mall. And that's all I'm hearing. And we all just were like, it feels right. Yeah, I feel, we feel peace over that. Let's just go. So we got in our car and we just drove and we get to the outlet mall and we're kind of looking around like, okay, we don't hear anything. Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do? And we're praying and we're just listening and we don't hear anything. And we're just kind of waiting there for about 10 minutes. And Finally, a girl in our group, she's like, hey, I think we need to go to this Waffle House. It's like across the street. I just feel like we're supposed to go there. Say, okay, let's go. So we got in the car, we drove over and we're like, okay, we're we're probably going to meet somebody here and pray for someone to be healed. It's going to be this incredible experience. And we get there and we're just waiting and we don't hear anything. We just don't hear any confirmation to move or talk to anybody. And there's lots of people around and we're there for 10 or 15 minutes waiting. And then the guy in our group was like, Hey, I think we're supposed to leave now and go to Walmart. 
which is about another 10 minutes down the road. And so part of me, I'm like, oh, this is kind of frustrating. Like I, we're just driving around yeah. waiting. Like, what are we even doing? I, I was kind of young and I'm like, do I even know what I'm doing? Am I even hearing God? Are we just imagining all this? So let's go. Let's go to Walmart. We're wasting our time. So we get in the car, we drive to Walmart. And we get in the parking lot and we're just sitting in the car. It's like, okay, what do we do? And uh, I was like, hey, I think we're supposed to go inside. What we're supposed to do is going to be inside the store, you know? Okay, let's go. So we all get uh, out of the car and we go inside Walmart. We walk in. It's like, okay, Lord, where do you want us to go? And uh, there's this huge party section where you have all the balloons that the strings are hanging down from mm-hmm. the ceiling. It used to be like that in, these, in Walmarts. And so let's go over there. So we walked over there walking around the party section and uh, there was all these giant cellophane balloons and they have different words or they're shaped different ways and there was one that was just this big round blue shiny balloon with nothing written on it and for whatever reason we just felt like hey i think we're supposed to buy this balloon and of course if we had not been learning how to hear the holy spirit never would have I mean, this is ridiculous who cares if we buy some little right. some blue balloon right? right so it's like we we like okay let's get the balloon let's get the balloon so we buy the balloon and then we're just still in Walmart and we feel like we're supposed to just kind of hang out for a little bit. So we're just walking around Walmart with this blue balloon and our time is running out. We're kind of watching it like, well, we got to leave in about 10 minutes to make it back in time. And so we're like, okay, Lord, where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to bless? And he's like, well, go back to your car. And so we just felt like, okay, I guess we're done. Like, great. We got a balloon. This was a failure, you know? So we start walking back to the car and right before we get to our car, there was an empty parking spot and this car pulls up almost right in front of us. And this lady gets out and she's a little bit frantic, like busy looking. And she walks around her car real fast and she opens the back door and she has a little boy in there and she's helping him out. Well, he's got this blue balloon tied to the string on his hand. And in the struggle to get out of the car, he lets go and the balloon just floats away. And the mom tries to grab it real quick and she can't get it in time. And it's at that point, it's like every kid's worst nightmare. The balloon is gone. You can see it, but it's just floating away forever. You can never get it back. And the kid just burst into tears. And this poor mom is just like distraught and she's got to go get groceries. And the kid is just devastated. And we walk up right at that moment and we're like, hey, you need a blue balloon? And we hand it to the boy and he just started looking up at us like and obviously he gets really happy suddenly because this is a much better balloon than the one he just had and the mom is like what's happening what who are you like she she can't even process what's happening and uh, we just kind of stopped her and was like hey god just wants you to know that he loves you and that he's thinking about you that's it and uh, she walked away almost silent like well thank you so much like this is incredible i don't even know what to think <laughs> and just we got in our car and we drove back to the church with this amazing story, and we might as well have raised the dead. That's how we felt, kind of just this incredible expression of God's love that he cared about this little boy's blue balloon. And he had us wait around for what we thought was no reason, but the timing had to be just right. It was pretty awesome. The reason I love that story, that is a microcosm of everything you wrote in the book, that mm. if we will listen will take steps. There may be frustration in that. You may have to wait before you feel the next prompting. But ultimately, if you will stay the course, God will allow you to give that blue balloon to somebody. And it doesn't necessarily mean raising the dead. It could be just what you said. It's an expression of love. And everybody can be used that way in some form or fashion as a son or daughter of God, right? Right. Exactly. And, and I think it's just getting enough of yourself out of the way 
to just listen because God wants to use and partner with us like that all the time. If we'll just let ourselves do it, we'll just let ourselves trust God that and let him be in control. You know, if I had taken over rationally at any point in that process, we would have left long before and thought, this is dumb. What are we even doing? This makes no sense. Got better things to do with my time. But if we just be patient, Jesus said, follow me. And so that means now we're moving at his pace. And that's a hard thing for us to do because we want to be in control of how fast we go. And that's the temptation of someone we're like, hey, here's a map to discover your identity. We would start sprinting and following this map to get there as fast as we can, not realizing the whole point is this journey of walking with God mm. in which we, we become who we are. We don't realize it someday and apply it to our lives. We become who we are over the course of our entire lives. How can people find out more about you, Brian, and pick up your book? If you go to gravityofheaven.com, you can read the book and a little bit more about me. Okay. As we finish here, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now and surrender. Lord, we long to know who we are. Your word says that before you formed us in the womb, you knew us. And Lord, show us who it is that you knew. Reveal to us who we are through your eyes as Father. Help us embrace our sonship and actually walk in it to trust you with our whole lives. And Lord, whatever is in the way, whatever pain or hurt or whatever we've experienced in our past that has caused us to create such a dominant self, we just invite you in, Jesus, to heal that right now, that you would expose it and shine your light on it and heal it so that we can let go of ourself and become who you've called us to be. But we ask that you would begin this process now and that you would remind us that we're walking at your pace and that you know exactly where we need to be and what we need to be doing. And we can never be late. We can never miss out as long as we, just, we, as long as we are following you, Father. We thank you, Father, for everything you've done through your son, Jesus. In his name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for writing the book. Thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.